0: Interestingly enough, my daughter gives me fodder for my sermons, right, all the time. So I told you guys we were going to Claire's. And so uh, Camille was with us and Dora was with us. We were in the van, in our big blue rental van, which is lovely. I look like a badass. It has, like, black rims on it. And <laughs> my church rental van. Anyway, um, so we went to the mall and we did Claire's. We did all that stuff. And then who knows what Sonic is? So there's a Sonic here, which is like my mothership. So Jordan said, let's go to Sonic, mom. I said, okay, but we're gonna go to Sonic. So we drive, it's not that far away. So we drive to Sonic and get slushies and Anka's daughter had her first taste of cheese tater tots from Sonic, which is like the closest thing to heaven probably that there is. And so you should have seen her face like, it was like the greatest thing ever, cheese tater tots. So sorry, I introduced your child to less than healthy food. But anyway, so we were in the van, and Jordan was sitting behind me, so she can see herself in the rearview mirror, right? And she will look in any mirror. I don't care what she's so I can see her making faces at herself and whatever. And then she said, "Mom, I know why those boys have a crush on me. I am beautiful." said, yes you are, and you need to come tell all my ladies how beautiful they are. And I have a witness, where's Camille at? That is exactly what happened, I am not making that up. Um, and and so what I told y'all earlier is anytime you need to find your confidence, come talk to my seven-year-old, because <laughs> she'll tell you how beautiful you are, and that you should not be ashamed of that at all, and if you want to look in the rearview mirror yourself, you just go ahead,
1: because <laughs> that's
0: all right. She was just checking herself out. Um, So she thinks every boy has a crush on her. Let's hope that's not true. So um, anyway, and then then we came back to the hotel. And I just got to say, like, the ladies in this church love all my kids like nobody's business. So we get back to the hotel and we get in the lobby. Some of these ladies who have been my friends for a long time get stuck because my daughter now has them cornered. And so she decides they're going to play a trivia game whether they want to or not. And so... um, Chris, who's Selena's sister. Sister, where are you at? Yeah, so Chris gets this question. Name four animals with eight letters, go. <laughs> so you are lovely to play the game with my child. Um, and so she held them captive for a while in the lobby, and we belly laughed and I had snot, and so thank you for that, because I needed it. Um, and then she went to the pool, and Adeline and Becca threw her around for an hour. So now, Dora appreciates that because the energy has been depleted. And when I left, she was on the bed in a pirate's booty haze. Do you know what that snack is? Like, putting it in her mouth, like all eyes rolling back in her head. So, um, so she had the best day. So I, I just wanna publicly say how appreciative I am of the way you guys love all my kids. So thank you very much for that. But um, I hope you guys got to laugh and have joyous moments this afternoon. There's, there's and I wanna tell the ladies in the lobby too, like, thank you for letting me just be part of the crowd and laugh with you and hang out with you because I don't get to do that all the time anymore, just by virtue of the fact that I work for the church and I have things I need to be doing, but that was soul refreshing to just sit in that lobby in that chair and just play. And so thank you for everybody that was part of that. I hope you guys get to play. I hope at some point this afternoon you thought to yourself, I'm playing, like I'm just having fun. I'm just having a good time. I heard a lot of what I call cackling, which is a good thing, right? I used to tell my soldiers, no cackling, don't make that noise. Now I love that noise. I used to hate that noise. I used to have a no cackling sign in my headquarters. I'd be like, stop making that noise. Anyway, um, I've learned to love that noise of joyous laughter and that high-pitched Right, that high-pitched belly laugh that goes on. A few of you went to the bar. I've already said that my sermons are much better when you've had tequila shots, so good for you. Some of you are sitting in here with your drink, and good for you. So I hope you guys had a good time. Um, we're gonna have a good time tonight too, because what we're gonna talk about is actually a really exciting subject. Um, but there's some heaviness to it too, so I want to balance that out because. What I don't want to do is leave not understanding the gravity of what we're going to talk about, but um, I certainly don't want to just spray cold water over the mood that we've set because that's what I wanted is for you guys to be in a joyous, fun mood. So we're going to talk about this, um, but talking about it from this place of of responsibility and, and fun because part of what we're going to talk about should be fun. There should be fun in it. There should be enjoyment in it. should be something that we enjoy doing. So we're going to talk about that tonight. I'm going to pray us in. And then I'm going to preach first, and then we're going to have the ladies come up. We're going to have a few more songs tonight, because I really want to soak you all in that worship before we leave um, tonight. So we'll do this first. So if you guys will bow your heads with me. God, we are grateful for the fun. You were in the midst of that play this afternoon. On the walks, at the coffee houses, at the movie theater, at the mall, in rest, at the spa, Wherever people found themselves this afternoon, you were there and you advocate for those activities. You love to watch us enjoy ourselves. You love to watch us enjoy each other. And so we're grateful that you showed up in those moments. We ask that you anoint this evening. This part of this retreat, I feel like is your most important work, This is the thing you hammered the hardest on and so I ask for your words to come out clear that everything that I say tonight would be straight from you and that you would land it exactly where you want it to be landed. I ask for our hearts to be open. I ask for our armor to be down, that we would be vulnerable to what you're trying to tell us, that we would allow ourselves to be convicted, but in the most comforting way, that we would allow ourselves to be loved on through this process. I once again submit this space to you. We give you this time And I ask for all other distraction to leave the room. Lord, we ask for your peace and stillness to fall over this place. In your son's holy name, amen. Right? On the cross, how that informs our identity. We talked about how God sees us and how we see ourselves. We've given you the example of of my daughter telling you how you should see yourself. So we just need to own that, right? Hopefully you spent some time this afternoon absorbing what you've heard from God, not from me. What well, you've heard from God last night and this morning. What was He trying to inform you? Hopefully some of you did your moment in the mirror to give yourself time to look at in the mirror and see what God sees, at least try that exercise. So now we're gonna talk about the part that God has convicted me really hard about over the last few weeks. So this was the hardest part of this whole series to write. And For a couple of reasons. I believe it's the reason he changed everything from the original topic. Some of the original topic was infused in last night and today. This is all completely separate. And I think the reason it's separate is because he was trying to teach me something in this. And so there's a much more emotional tie to this part of the retreat for that reason. Um, So what we're going to talk about tonight is our responsibility to reach out to those that aren't in relationship with God. And how we're caring for his people. So we've talked about what God did for you. We've talked about how you should see yourself. And how you should root your identity in him. And now we're going to talk about how you're supposed to care for his people. And let's just set the baseline now so that nobody thinks they're exempt from this. You are supposed to care for his people. No matter where you are. No matter what you're doing. You don't have to be in ministry. You don't have to be in a non-profit setting. You don't have to be in in some place where you're required. You are you are required because... I didn't bring my Bible up here with me. You know what I'm saying. The book, right? It tells you in there that you're required to care for his people. It's one of the first charges that he gave the disciples was to care for his people. So we're going to talk about how to do that. We're going to talk about what that what he expects from us we're going to talk about how we do that practically and then we're going to talk about where we're lacking in that what i need you to do is be open to what i'm going to tell you there's no offense in this this is not me rebuking anybody or pointing any fingers but what i am telling you is, is god's telling us to do this and we don't have a choice about that if we're going to call ourselves his children this is part of the package is to care for his people. So we need to talk about what that looks like. So here's what I want you to think about. You can close your eyes or just think about it in your mind's eye to envision how you want the world you live in to look. Right? What do we want the world to look like? Do we want to see everyone access all of God's blessing and his love and things we've talked about this weekend? Do you want other people to have access to that? And if so, what's our role in that, right? How do we envision that? And so we've talked about if we could operate from this place of being fully loved and fully chosen, if we just operate our lives from that space. So let's think about if everybody operated their life from that space, right? We talked about, people go, oh, well, that's very dramatic. Yes, it is. We talked about this morning that we're going to talk about a dramatic way to look at this, right? That would be a dramatic thing if everybody operated out of God's love. If everybody cared about each other the way God cares about us right? And so we have responsibility in that. So I want you to think about that. Think about what you think that looks like, and then do you think you have a role in that? If you don't think you have a role in that, then we need to pray separately. Not right now. But we need to pray about that because you do have a role in that, and you don't get to advocate that role. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, do all this and then only reach out to those around you if you feel like it, right? And so we have to talk about responsibility about. So I told you guys about the, the Bethel concert, right? The enthusiasm in that room. I always leave those settings so on such a high, right? So filled up. How do we carry that out into our lives? That kind of fervor. Nobody in that room was embarrassed to be praising God. Nobody in that room was embarrassed to be in tears over God. Nobody in that room was embarrassed to have their hands in the air. Nobody in that room was embarrassed to be to be singing at the top of their lungs regardless of what kind of voice they have, right? Nobody was embarrassed about that. Why can we do that in there and then we leave that setting? And oh, by the way, I'm glad you weren't embarrassed in front of all the other Christians. When do the people who haven't found God get to see that? Right? That's wonderful that we can be in that setting and praise together, but I'm pretty sure everybody in there already knows how to get to God. Or or at least has some access right what do we do with that fervor that we show in that setting in that comfortable place of other christians what effort do we make to carry that somewhere else where someone doesn't have access to that when they don't know that fervor that you feel because i would tell you that i'm almost positive that we go to those concerts and we do those things with other Christians and then Monday morning we go to work and nobody sees any evidence of that of that fervor of what you were doing Saturday night hands in the air praising this God because you're so excited you can't contain it and then you go to this place where people don't know him and don't have access to him and somehow we then contain that Right? we gotta figure out why we do that Why is that not the first thing that we want to say? Why is that not the first thing? When someone says, what did you do this weekend? And I'm not saying some of you don't do this, but I think by and large we're not good at this. When someone says, what did you do this weekend? I stood on my feet for three hours and sang at the top of my lungs, hands in the air, praising God. Who has that conversation on Monday morning? Some of you do, I know. But by and large, we don't have that conversation. We don't do that. Right? We've got to think about why. How do we carry that into our lives? Why do we not want to spread that same giddiness, that same excitement? We want God to invade the world. I think if you ask any Christian person, do you want God to invade the world, they'd be like, yes, I'm waiting. What are you waiting for? He wants to invade the world through you. So when we say, yes, get up and let's do something about that, Right? God needs you to invade the world. That's why he created you. Don't be confused. We've somehow gotten in this really weird loop of I'm here so God can serve me. He will serve you, but if you get into the Bible, you will quickly find out that that is not why he created you. He created you so you would serve him. And the way that he wants you to serve him is to bring his kingdom here. That's what he wants you to do. And so we often go up the conduit with our petition and prayer, heart stop. We never go to the second part of the conduit, which is, what do you want me to do for you? Right? So we have to figure out how to do the two-way conduit. Here's my petition of prayer. God wants to hear that, and he's giving you biblical evidence that he wants to hear that, and he understands that. But then he wants the second part of that prayer to be, Here's what I'm going to do for you, and here's a blessing and favor I'm going to pour out to you because you're serving me, and here's what you need to do for me. Very rarely does anybody ever come to me and say, hey, Marcy, I prayed really hard, and this is what God told me I need to do for people who don't know him. I can't tell you the last time somebody's had that conversation with me. I can't tell you the last time I had that conversation with somebody. And that's bad. God's convicted me hard about that to say, I called you into ministry and never do you have a conversation about what you're supposed to do for the people who don't know me. That is bad. What am I doing? I'm supposed to be in service to you all. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. But you know him. And so I also have a huge responsibility to be in service to people that don't know him. And let me let you in on a secret. That wasn't, That word wasn't just for me. Unfortunately, or fortunately, whichever way you want to look at it, you belong to me. And so when he gives me a word like that, it comes back to you. Because I'm clear that you belong to me. I'm responsible for you. Absolutely, I take that very seriously. He convicted me hard about two things. One is the things we talked about Friday night and this morning. Do you know him? And am I making sure that you know him? Am I making sure you know who you are in him? Am I going to town on that with you in the way that I'm supposed to? And then, what are we doing As the women in this church to get after people who don't know him. And we're filming this, and the men in this church will get involved in that too. So we're having the same conversation church-wide. We have to. LMCC is good at a lot of things. We are good at a lot of things. I don't know that we're good at that. And I'll be the first one to stand in that line. I want you guys to think about how many non-Christian friends you have. How much time do you spend with them talking about God? I will tell you that that answer for me is a very slim margin because I have been very comfortable with my Christian friends and my Christian environment and the comfort level that I have in that. And it has numbed me to what God wants me to do. He wants me to love you all and to be in community with you all and to love on you. Absolutely. And this is critical to our Christian walk, to have Christian friends and support structure. It's critical. Don't get confused about that. But it is probably more critical that we should be seeking out those who don't have access to the same things that we have access to. We should have fire in our gut about that. It should break our heart. And everybody doesn't have access to that, right? I realized my family is is went to church with me when I was young. We all went to church. But my brothers have kind of moved away from that as they've gotten older. My younger brother, not as much. My older brother, for sure. And my sister-in-law, who's been my sister-in-law for 22 years, 23 years, um, listened to my sermon on the when, when I preached in August, she listened to it on the podcast or whatever. And then she called me and said, That was really good. You and I have never talked about that. I'm ignoring my own family. My sister in law doesn't believe in Jesus, doesn't even know who he is. She's been in my family for 23 years. She's like, I'm so glad I listened to that. You and I have never talked about that. What the hell am I doing? I'm so worried about getting the word out to the people right in front of me that I'm not even thinking about the people that are in my family, right? I talked to you guys earlier about the fact that it never occurred to me to take my child to the Bethel concert. It occurred to me to get a babysitter. Why would it not occur to me to take my seven-year-old to a, to that concert? Why would that not have been the first thing I thought is access to people worshiping God? Yes, you're going. Why would I not have thought about that? Because I've gotten numb... In my situation and so we've got to talk about that we have to talk about how to bring people to the cross right you've got to figure out how to access it first you've got to know where it is and what it provides and you have to believe that right we talked earlier about impotency in prayer there's also impotency in that kind of faith too when we try to bring people somewhere we don't really believe We haven't really accessed it for ourselves. We need to access it first. We need to believe it. We need to own who we are in Christ. And then we got to give that away. So what are we charged to do? So in Proverbs 29, it says, where there's no vision, people perish. He's talking to us. That wasn't a word for somebody else. He's talking to us. Where there's no vision, people perish. I give you everlasting life in John 3.16. So we, we think about that in John 3.16, right? I give you everlasting life. So we got to link that back to Proverbs and say, where there's no vision, people perish. You are responsible for making sure other people get access to that promise that you're going to claim from John 3.16. It's not a standalone promise. I want you to take it. I want you to own it. I want you to inculcate your life with it. But then I want you to share it with somebody else. I want you to say, look what I found. Come on, I'm going to show you the way to the cross. I'm going to show you the way to this salvation. I'm going to show you the way to cover your sin. I'm going to show you the way to cover your circumstances. We have to do that. We have to get after that, right? We talked earlier about God, and who God says we are and how he informs us. Now we have to ask another question. What if he came and asked you, who do you say I am? And what if your answer is, I don't say you're anybody because I don't have the conversation? What if God asks you, who do you say I am? That question put me in a bathtub for five hours. This was the part that helped me in there because I couldn't answer that question. I'm so busy doing ministry work. That I don't know how to answer the question of who do you say I am to the person I'm serving. I serve him. I don't serve Logan Gentry. I love Logan Gentry. I'd do anything for him. But he's fully aware I don't serve him. I serve God. I don't serve the pastors. I love them. And they are massive protection for me. But they're fully aware that I serve God. I can't tell you who who I say he is. What is wrong with that? Can you answer that question? And can you answer that question from here? Don't give me this. I don't want your biblical knowledge about who God says he is. The devil can answer that question. He can answer it. I want to know who you think God is. Who would you say he is to someone who doesn't know him? And if you don't have an answer to that, we need to get one. Because you are his representative here. You have no way out of that position. Unless you opt out and then you are in dire circumstances. You have to be able to answer that question. Peter was asked by Jesus, who do you say I am? And he said, you are the son of the living God. That's a loaded statement. So if you ask me, what does that mean? I can give you a seminary answer to that. I can give you a biblically correct answer to that. Can I give you a heart answer to that? Can I give you a personal in the depths of my soul answer to what the son of the living God means? How are you going to bring other people into relationship with him when you can't answer that question? And you don't want to bring them into temporary, surface relationship with him. You want to bring them into deep, abiding relationship with him that changes their life. And you can't do that because you haven't harnessed the power yet to do that. Because you haven't had the conversation with yourself about the power that you're accessing. Am I going to access the power so that I can then give it away or not? We have to be able to answer these questions Listen, you got to dig around in that New Testament. I gave it to you because you can put it in your purse. There's no reason to leave your house without that. That's why we bought those. I got one of those off the table at church like a year ago. It's in my purse. It's a ragbag mess now. Because I have no excuse not to dig around in that thing. It's right there. If you want to understand how to bring people to the cross and how to bring people to God, it tells you in there. The Gospels tell you how Jesus did it. I can't think of a better example, so you need to read those. Paul tells you clearly over and over and over what you need to do. So you don't need to leave this room and think, but I have no idea how to do that. You don't have to figure that out. The Bible tells you how to do that. It's in there. Over and over and over. We have to get after what Jesus did. We need to understand the work that he did. Because he didn't do that in a vacuum. He did that to set example. It was an example to us. We often read it as a narrative story. It isn't a narrative story. It is, it is a, a template how to love on his people. They don't belong to you. They belong to him. You don't choose how to love on them. He told you how to love on them. Don't put yourself in a position above what Jesus already told us to do. Don't think I don't need to read that because I know how to love on people. No, you don't. You don't know. I think I'm a very loving person now. I wasn't a few years ago, but I think I am now, and I could not Answer these questions. I could not say to Jesus, I love on people in the way that you command me to. I have a broken heart for what breaks your heart. If you don't know what broke Jesus' heart, how are you going to love on anybody? How are you going to get after the things that he wants you to do? You need to get in the Bible and dig around at the things that Jesus paid attention to. Who did he pay attention to? What circumstances did he pay attention to? Who were the people that he gave the most time to? Where did he seek people out? Jesus didn't wait for people to come to him. He sought them out in the Bible. Read about it. Read about what he did. It is for you. It's not something that can't be transferred. It's not some ancient story that we can't replicate. You can replicate it on your street, on the subway, in your workplace, in your family, right next to you at the dinner table, probably. You have any idea that guilt, and God's taken that away. We've dealt with that. But when my sister-in-law said, you've never talked to me like that, I had to get off the phone. I, I had to get on my knees quick. What am I doing? I love her. Like, she's my own flesh and blood. And people, she was going to hell. Do you understand that? She didn't know anything about Jesus. Doesn't know anything about anything. We are sending people to hell because we're not paying attention to their eternal life. We have to care about that. Is that dramatic? Yes. If you don't think there's a hell, you need to read the Bible. I'm not making that up. There is a reason that God wants us to save his kingdom. Because there is an alternative. If there was an alternative, he wouldn't care. So if you don't think there's a hell, then we can have a theological discussion later. But for right now, we're going to go with what the Bible says, and there's a hell. And people are headed there. And you either have responsibility to that or you don't. We have to figure that out. Right? The tools are there, they're in the Bible. We have to get eyeball to eyeball with people. Stop walking through your life with your blinders on, with your headphones in, not looking at anybody, not paying attention to anyone's circumstances, not watching the looks on other people's faces, not seeing how the people around you, in your family, in your job, wherever you're spending your time, seeing how their circumstances are drowning them, and you have the life jacket, and you're holding on to it. Don't keep the life jacket. It's not yours. You're supposed to share it. Right? If someone was physically drowning in front of you, what would you do? You would do everything in your power to get something to them to help them. Oh, by the way, they are physically drowning in front of you. They are. We were walking down the sidewalk in Battery Park City one night, Jordan and I coming home from something, and there's a bus stop right there, and this lady was sobbing. And I didn't see her because I'm a New Yorker now, and I don't pay attention to anything. And my daughter said, Mom, that lady's crying. Shouldn't we do something? And I thought, are you freaking kidding me? I'm a ministry leader in a church, and I didn't see her. She was sobbing on the sidewalk. And so we went over and said, can I help you? She said, I'm really sad. She had had some bad things go on that day. My daughter gave her a hug. She said, I'm okay. But, and, and so we had a conversation, and it was fine. But the point is, I didn't see her. When are we going to put spiritual eyes on to pay attention to what is going on around us? If your life is lovely and perfect and you're in peace, I am so happy about that. I am not trying to take that away from you. I want you to walk around in peace and contentment. I'm not saying that. That's a good thing. But we have to pay attention to what's going on around us, and everybody isn't in that position, and we have responsibility to that. You have a responsibility to the people around you. God didn't say in the Bible... Here's the humans I would like you to pay attention to. And here's the humans that you can bypass. He doesn't say that. Nowhere in there is there a list. Right? And so what we often say is, I'm uncomfortable with that. I don't have time for that. Someone else will do that. Or frankly, we just don't have the words because we don't know him. If we knew him, we would have the words to speak to his people. So we have to spend more time in his word so that you then have the words when the person drowning in front of you needs the life jacket. The words are the life jacket. You better get in scripture, get in prayer, get in praise so you have the words. That's good. Because it's necessary. And oh, by the way, if you don't have the words, just show up. Just look somebody in the eye and say, I see you and you're important. We have to do that. We have to look each other in the eye and we have to find people that nobody sees, nobody pays attention to, nobody takes the time to stop and look them in the eye and ask them if they need something. Shame on us for not doing that. Shame on me at the front of the line for not seeing someone crying on the sidewalk and looking her in the eye and saying, what do you need? You guys are the most loving bunch of people I've ever been around in my entire life. So you have it in you. There is no doubt about that. I have been loved on by the people in this room and an overwhelming... I can't even articulate how much you all have loved on me. It's present in this room. But we need to take it out of this room. We need to take it out of our church. So we need to get in the New Testament And dig around. Listen, I don't want to be a fraud serving God. I don't want it to look pretty. I'll tell you something. I've been hugely convicted about the fact that, listen, I'm a good public speaker. I can speak to 10,000 people and probably convince them to do anything. I've had to convince thousands of soldiers to get off a plane and get shot at. Get your weapon, let's get off the plane. People are going to try to kill you the minute we get off. And Try to kill you every day, 24 hours a day for 365 days until I put you back on this plane. I can just about motivate anybody to do anything. It doesn't matter if I'm not going to do it under the anointing of God. Don't be confused by your natural skill and talent being unanointed by God. I don't care about your natural skill and talent. It takes you nowhere in the kingdom. Get it anointed. Submit it to God. And get his power behind it. Can you imagine what you will be able to do? Can you imagine what would happen? Look around in here. There are some smart, talented people sitting in this room. What if we harness that power to get after the people who are drowning? You guys would save. I can't even imagine what you'd be able to do if we harness the power of the women in this church. If we harness your love. I can't see your face, Melissa, and I like to see your face, so I keep moving it. If we harness the power of the people in this room, the love that you all have, and then we went out and said, I'm going to drench every person I can find with this love. Not give them a little, not show up a little, drench them in it. So, oh, by the way, before you can do that, you need to figure out how to drench yourself in it, and that's what we talked about this morning. You better figure out how to get a drenching from God. You better get in relationship with him and figure out who he believes you are. Because he can't drench you in his love until you're going to accept it. Until you're going to take it all in. And then you'll be able to give that away. But you're not going to be able to do it until you do that first step. So this is connected to this morning and last night. You can't disconnect them. You can't say, yeah. I'm going to get after that with you. I'm not sure my relationship with God, but I'm going to get after that. Nope, back up. We got steps to do here. I want you to get in relationship first. I want you to get drenched. I want you to understand who he is. I want you to be able to answer that question about who you say he is. I want you to get involved in that question. We're here to save people's lives. It's dramatic. Get on board. There's no way for me to tone that down, and I don't want to. We're not going to tone it down. We're not going to say, man, this retreat was a little Christian-y for me. I don't know about all that saving people's lives talk. What do you think you're here for? God didn't send you here to go to Claire's on a Saturday afternoon, go to Sonic. He likes that, and I'm grateful for that. He sent me here to look people in the eye have have conversation with them, to say, do you know my God? And if you don't, come on. I got somewhere to take you. Right? We talk about it all the time. It's cliche, right? We talk about it. If we find a new restaurant, we find a new hobby, we find a new thing to do, we run and we tell our friends, hey, I found this new thing. Come on. Because you will do that. I, heard, I hear conversations about that all the time. I have conversations like that, right? Like, hey, I found this new thing. Let's... I make sure I have that conversation. I cannot tell you, The last time I said to somebody, hey, do you know God? No? Come on. What the hell am I doing? God convicted me hard about that. Marcy, you either find people, look them in the eye, and bring them to me, or you sit your ass down and get out of my ministry. And I'm not kidding. That's exactly how he said it to me. You can sit your ass down because I didn't bring you here to save the other Christians. Thanks for your help, I've already got them. A convicting time in that bathtub. How about what are you doing? What do you want to do for my kingdom? Do you love me? Do you want to serve me? And the answer to that before that Friday bathtub would have been yes. And if you asked me why, I wouldn't have been able to answer you. Or I would have given you an answer that was surface that I thought sounded good, that probably I believed? The answer now is, and, and I will tell you that I'll just give you fair warning now, not that you need it because you probably figured it out over the last 15 minutes, I'm going to change the way I do this ministry because I don't have any choice. I was given a command. You will save people's lives or you will sit down and get out of the way because if you are not damaging hell then you are dangerous to my church Do you understand you are either damaging hell or you are dangerous to the people in the church and I am not going to be dangerous to this church I'm not I'm going to change the way that I do my ministry and oh by the way you have a ministry So don't be confused about that. I have a ministry I get paid for. It happens to be my job. I'm very grateful. You have a ministry too. You're responsible. You have a personal ministry because you are a chosen child of God. And what comes with that is personal ministry. And if you're unsure about how to do that, then we will walk alongside you in that. And we will pray that out for you. And we will figure that out. There is no pastor in this church that is going to tell you that they don't want you ministering to the people of New York City and bringing them through the doors of that church in order to save their life. If you go sit down with any of the pastors and say, hey, is it okay if I minister to the people in New York City and try to save their life, nobody's going to say no. You don't have to ask. You don't need permission. Of course that's what they want you to do. That's what we need, is more people to be in ministry. Let's change the definition of that word. It isn't Logan's responsibility. It isn't Kara's responsibility. It isn't the worship team's responsibility. It's everybody's responsibility to minister to the people around us. Everybody. Thank goodness we have people to shore us up and protect us and give us platform for that. I'm not saying that. That's massively important. You know, we're here this weekend because the pastors allow us to come be together. But I guarantee you that they want us to get after the gates of hell. Why else are we here? What are we doing? They don't want us to just come out here and party. They think that's great and they would love to hear about that. That's not what they want us to do. They want us to get after the gates of hell. That's what we're supposed to do. And let me tell you something. Your circumstances in your life are going to smooth out in a whole new way when you start getting after the gates of hell. The things that the devil's attacking you for, he's not going to have time for because then he'll be too busy looking at something else because you are raiding the gates of hell and he has to change his attention. And the symptoms and circumstances in your life will start to look different. So, again, song lyrics. You guys just, my, my whole life has lived off song lyrics, but that's okay, I'm grateful. So, the Sidewalk Prophets sing this song called Save My Life. I don't know if you guys have heard it. It's been on my um, earphones and on repeat for weeks now. And here's what it says. And I want you to listen to the words because I think it's exactly the way we need to, to look at this. It says, We've met a half a dozen times. I know your name. I know you don't know mine. But I won't hold that against you. You come here every Friday night. I take your order and try to be polite. And hide what I've been going through. If you looked me right in the eye, you would see the pain deep inside. Would you take the time to tell me what I need to hear? Tell me that I'm not forgotten. Show me there's a God. It's hard for me to get through. Who can be more than anything I've ever wanted? Because right now I need a little hope. I need to know that I'm not alone. Maybe God is calling you tonight to tell me something that might save my life. If you don't look them in the eye, you can't see what they need. What if your word saves somebody's life? What if all you have to do is look them in the eye and pay attention to what's going on and save their life? I think it's probably... Scientifically proven somewhere, if we could find research on it, that people would say that in the depths of despair, when they were about to go over the edge, somebody somewhere paid attention, looked him in the eye, and kept him from going off the edge. And you have responsibility to do it. Stop rushing through your life, stop rushing past everyone. Stop rushing past your own family. Stop rushing past the people next to you at work. Quit telling me how you can't stand everybody at your work and figure out if they know the God you know. Do they know him? I don't care if you don't like them. It doesn't say in the Bible to minister to the people you like. It says to minister to the people who don't know him. we got to start paying attention. Listen. If the words God has given to us about this don't stir action in you that I don't know what to do. He's told you that this is critically important to Him. That it's at the top of His list of priorities. It's at the top. He made a covenant with you. We talked about the promises He gave you. We talked about the way to claim those promises. And the covenant is you get to claim those promises, you get to live in that space with him, and you have responsibility to him. You have a part of that covenant. It's not a one-way thing. We need to seek life change first for yourself. You need to seek life change for yourself first. Then you need to seek life change for the people around you. What did God do all this for? If he doesn't want everybody to find him. Everybody to have access to him. There's more after the resurrection, right? God raised Jesus from the dead and said, here's my power, use it. And either we don't access it or we dilute that power to a point where it is unrecognizable to God. He'll say, wait a minute, that's not my power. You've diluted it so much that isn't doesn't even look like what I gave you. Stop diluting his power. Stop thinking it's a little too Christian y, it's a little too dramatic. They're drowning. We live in a city of drowning people. They're everywhere. And we are responsible. Listen, you have to be a worshiper before you can lead anybody to worship. Before you can lead anybody to know this God. What do you believe about this almighty God that you serve? What do you believe about him? Who is he? How are you going to articulate who he is to someone else? You need to know that. You need to figure that out. We have so much power sitting in this room. And we are irresponsible to leave it here. Ryan preached one time about these bricks in a wall, right? And that some of us are the brick underneath someone else holding them up and then, right? And someone's the top brick being held up and then seasons of life and we change that right? And then someone else is holding someone else up. Okay, guys, it's time to build a new wall. You need to leave room for people who don't have a brick yet. There's nobody holding them up. There's nobody there to do that for them. They don't even understand what that means to be held up. Let's get that straight with us first. Who are we holding up? When do we need to be held up? We need to know what season of life we're in. We need to know where we are with God in that process. And then we need to open up that wall and provide space for other people. Don't close your wall off to the Christians that you're comfortable with. I'm only going to hold up my other Christian friends because that makes sense to me and that's comfortable. We need to open space so that some of what you're holding up is people who are struggling in this life, where people are struggling in their faith. People are struggling because they don't have any faith and they don't even know what that is. We need to open up that wall, right? This Christian environment cannot be your only workspace. We have to find and seek out the places where you are needed. I have no doubt, not a doubt in my mind, that any one of you, if someone came to you, walked up to you and said, I need you, you would jump up. And that's wonderful. But now I need you to go find them. Because sometimes they can't get to you. They don't even know how to access you. So now we need to get on mission to go find them, to pay attention, eyes open, look people in the eye. What do you need? are you drowning? If you have to, just put that lens over everything. Let me look at this person. Are you drowning? Are you drowning? Whatever you have to do, put the lens over it to check what's going on. Where are you at? Who's holding you up? What do you need? Right? And then if their need overwhelms you, that's what the rest of us are for. That's why you have Christian community. Christian community is to hold you up, and that's wonderful. But it's also so that when you're overwhelmed, we can get in there and help. Right? So when you get a circumstance and you say, oh, crap, I'm weighing over my head here. Good. There's 100 other people. Give us a call. Somebody will come running. Somebody will get in that with you. But you know what the problem is? We don't call each other for that because we weren't paying attention in the first place. So we get to the end of our day and say, man, this was a good day. Nobody needed anything. Really? You probably passed 150 people who needed some, but you weren't paying attention. You weren't even looking. Don't get to your end of your day and realize that you didn't talk to one single person about God. You didn't have one single conversation about this inheritance that you've accessed. Not one single conversation about how somebody might get out of the drowning water and lay down your head at night and think, man, I'm all good. And you know why I tell you that? Because old girl has had a lot of sleepless nights the last couple weeks. Because God said, really? You putting your head on the pillow? You feel good about what you did today? Who did you help? Whose eyes did you look in? When did you stop and maybe take something off your silly ass calendar to do something for me? Because although I appreciate the stuff in your calendar, the person who just walked by you that's drowning needed you and you didn't look. And so thank you for all that other crap. I really don't care. I would have preferred that you spend some time with the person who needed you. Better get our eyes open, spiritual eyes open. So what do the people around us need? And some of them are sitting in your own house. And you walk by them on that couch every night, and you think, "It's OK. They'll be all right. Some of them are your sister-in-law for 23 years, and it never enters your mind to find out if she has access to the God you know. I had to call my brother, who I love more than anything, my older brother, and tell him how sorry I was that I didn't care for his family the way that I was supposed to, that I had never talked to his wife about the God that I know. I'd apologize for that because I would do anything for him and his family. What is wrong with me? Boy, I'm serving this ministry, right? I'm getting after the people in this church. I'm doing good. I lay down at night, I did my work. My sister in law is drowning, and I didn't even see her. Open your eyes to what is going on in your own family, in your own workplace. Open your eyes to the person that's sitting next to you in here. Don't assume because somebody walked in the doors of OMCC that they're all good. We got broken mess walking in the doors of our church. Thank God, because that's what we want, walking in the doors of our church. That's what we want. But listen, we have responsibility to pay attention to that. And to love on that from the deepest recesses of your soul. And I want you to figure out how to access that love from the deepest recesses of your soul. I had a girl at school give this presentation about what she was going to do for, to try to bring people into their church. And it was a great presentation. She did a great job. And my professor stood up at the end of it and he said, that's not going to work. And she said, why? And he said, because most of the people in your church don't know anybody non-Christian to bring to that. And even if they do know them, they're not going to approach them because that's too uncomfortable and they're not going to bring them. And you're going to have this event to save people, and nobody's going to show up except all the Christians. Because nobody is comfortable enough to go up and say, Do you know God? You don't come with me. We're too uncomfortable in the conversation. And this poor girl, when I mean, she rocked back on her, she had given this fantastic presentation, really well thought out, and she had every good intention behind it. And he said, won't work. Only people are going to be there you and the pastors and a few other people who already believe in God because nobody is going to step out and look somebody in the eye and say, I want to save your life. Come with me. Guys, we can't continue to operate in that. We don't have a choice. If you don't have non-Christian friends... We need to cultivate those relationships. We need to find people that don't believe in God and seek them out. I need you to get comfortable with the uncomfortable conversation. You need to get comfortable. Why can't we say, I have the keys to the kingdom and I want you to come with me? I'm going to show you. When have you ever said that to somebody? We sing and we put our hands in the air and we say we love God and we've never said that statement to somebody. What are we doing? We're going to have to change the dynamic, right? We have to fill ourselves up with the love of God. We've got to believe it before we can shine a light out there for other people to come to. You've got to believe it first. We're charged to bring the kingdom down. We talked about that this morning. We have to bring the kingdom here. We have to show people the glory and power of God here. We have to become the hands and feet of Jesus. That's what the Bible tells us to do, to become his hands and feet. So listen. What if every woman in this church was fully lit and fully activated? Operating from a place of of peace and love and went after people that needed their lives saved in the most fervent way possible. What if we all did that? What if everybody was fully lit for that? What if we were fully activated? What if those were our conversations? What if people called me and said, Marcy, listen, I saw this and I went after this and now this has happened. What if we had those conversations? Marcia, I stopped what I was doing today, and I looked somebody in the eye, and guess what their story is, and now guess what's going to happen. Some of you are doing that, and I do get to hear those stories, and I'm grateful for that. If you are doing it, this is not a rebuke. I'm asking you to go deeper on that. I'm asking you to get in deeper. If you're not doing it, I'm asking you to get with me, because I wasn't doing it. We have to get in there and get involved in that, right? We have to become the hands and feet of Jesus. It's not a suggestion You have to live in that space. We talked about that last night. You have to live in the space of the cross, not parallel to it. Don't live outside it, looking in there. I kind of get what's in there. I can kind of see it, but I can't really access it. You need to access it, right? Listen, I'm responsible for you. I have, I was a military officer for 25 years. There is nobody who understands responsibility to other people better. I get it. I had thousands of soldiers under my command in combat with them over and over and over where people trying to kill them 24 hours a day and I was responsible for them. And listen to me. I didn't take responsibility for you in that same way and that changes now. My responsibility to you is to put you on mission for God. Because if I don't do that, then I need to sit down. You're not here for me, and you're not here for each other, and you're not here to make LMCC full on a Sunday morning because we don't care about that. Oh, by the way, if church was empty on Sunday morning because you were out on mission for God, we would gladly shut the door and come out there and help you. If we walked into two dysprosis and everybody sent me a text message said, I'm not coming to church because I'm on mission for God and he's got me after somebody, Go. What do you need from me? Two dysprosis isn't going to do it anymore. You can't just come there, do that, and then live the other six days of your life without doing his work. You can't do it anymore. And oh, by the way, unless the pastors fire me, you guys are going to hear this over and over because now I don't have a choice. It was an order given to me to give to you, and I'm going to hammer it and hammer it and hammer it until we get on this mission. And oh, by the way, I'll be right there with you. I'll be right there with you because he gave me the conviction the hardest out of the whole thing. You're the care minister at the church. Go get on mission for me and get after the drowning people standing right in front of you. I know what it means To take people to combat. We are going to combat. Get on board. You are soldiers in God's army. You are. And oh, by the way, I know how to be a soldier. And I was remiss in my duties about making sure that we got on mission together. I've never had a conversation with any of you about getting on mission to save God's people. Not one of you. Never. What the hell am I doing? And I had to think about that. I had to sit down and think. When have I had a conversation about that? Never. We get in prayer with each other. I sit with a lot of you all in prayer, and we pray over important things, and I don't mean that. When have I ever sat down in prayer with one of you and said, let's get on mission for God. Let's think about this. Let's find the drowning people. Let's make a plan. Let's get out there. There's nobody on the planet that knows how to make a plan better than I do. I can come up with a 17-page op order and maps and strategies and graphics and whatever you need because I know how to get after something. I know how to find something. I know how to get a mission done, and I'm not on mission for God. And I can't figure out what I thought I was doing. And so, if you don't want to be on mission for God, then you'll have to come and talk to Logan and tell him that you want a restraining order from me. (laughs) I would like a restraining order put on your care minister. I'm okay with that. But we're going to get on this mission together, right? We are responsible to bridge the gap, there is a gap. It's huge, but if I put all of you all end to end, we bridge the gap. I can't take two of you, I can't take four of you, I need all of you. And oh, by the way, every one of you has a different weapon in your arsenal that I don't have and I need you to bring it to the table. I can't do this by myself, you can't do it by yourself. I have weapons you need, you have weapons I need. We need to set the formation with everybody's weapons arrayed to get after the fight. You need to get in place. And I'll get right there with you. And there will be part of it that's hard. And there will be part of it that's thankless. And oh, by the way, there will be part of it that we never know the outcome for. Here's the problem with us. We want to minister to somebody, see life change, and see everything come to fruition right then. And we have no patience for that. Here's what we're going to do. God told us to plant the seed. He didn't tell you that you were going to harvest everybody. Not your job to figure out the end game. It is your job to start the game. You will be the one who plants the seed. You may get to see the harvest. And, and when we get to do that, we get to see the power and glory of God in, in an overwhelming way. And I'm grateful for that. And he'll let you see enough of that to keep you in the game. But some of it isn't yours to harvest, and that's okay. It is yours to start. Don't say, I'm never going to see that person again, so I don't need to do anything. You do need to do something, because he asked you to start. Somebody else can harvest it later. That's not your problem. When I started this job, I remember thinking I had to do everything. I have to meet everyone's needs. And you know what? There's some people in this church that I can't minister to, and I'm not supposed to. I'm not the one that's going to reach them. I'm not the one that's going to help them. Because I can't help everybody. I don't have all the tools. So then I had to look around and say, there's people I can't minister to, and I'm going to let them go. And I'm going to let somebody else minister to them. Because you do have the tool that I don't have. We have conversations about, we're in this fight together. What do you bring to the table? What do you bring to the table? Here's what I can do. What can you do? And then we form that, that perimeter, right? And then we get after this thing. So it's not about... You can do everything you can't, and I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to take your piece. The body of Christ is big. You're all needed. What's your piece of it? You need to figure that out, right? The first thing I want you to do, and the first thing we're going to do as a church is fight on our knees. Get on your knees and find out what God wants you to do. If you haven't prayed on your knees, it's time. You are not a peer with Jesus. Y'all are not buddies. He's not your personal assistant. Get on your knees and show reverence to to the God who sacrificed everything for you. And ask him what he needs you to do. What does he need you to do? So the first thing this church is going to do is fight on our knees. And we're going to get confirmation because we're going to have conversation. And we're going to say I prayed and this is what I heard, and then somebody else is going to say I was on my knees and I prayed and this is what I heard, and God will confirm that. That's right. He will bring those things into unity together, and we will know we have confirmation. Right? Then we need to get up and fight the fight, get toe to toe, get rid of your fear about what somebody's going to think of you or how you're going to sound or what this situation how the situation might play out. Who cares? They are drowning. Anything you throw in there is better than nothing, right? So when you say, but I don't know, I'm uncomfortable. Listen, I'm uncomfortable and I can't speak to people? Then get some help. Get somebody to go with you. I don't care if you come to me and say, I'm uncomfortable. Can you come help me with this? Yes. But at least identify it. Point it out, right? That's your part of the the puzzle. That's fine. If you're uncomfortable, then find somebody else. That's what the other 100 people are for. Come get somebody. But don't say I'm uncomfortable so I'm not going to do anything because that's when we got a problem. Right? We've got to get after that. We've got to get toe-to-toe on this thing. We have to discuss this with God and see what this next portion looks like. I went to the pastors before I came to this retreat and sat down with them and said, here's the vision and I need you to see it. And the two reasons I needed that is one is I work for them, and I owe them discussion about what I'm going to bring every woman in this church and sit down in here and talk about, and so I owe them conversation about that. I love them in the fact that they let me work autonomously, and they trust me, but we had a moment where I said, here's what I'm going to do, and are you okay to cover this? And they said, yes, we are. But the other reason I asked them is that we will have to recast this vision, and I needed them to say that was okay, that they were going to do that with me because I need their top cover on that. And so the pastors of this church have said, yes, we're going to recast that vision. We're going to get after this. So we're going to see this again, right? Listen, Matthew, if, if you get in those gospels, you read around in there, Matthew tells us the gates of hell will not withstand against the church. Listen to me. Gates are defensive. We have to charge the gate. Gates are a defensive measure. We have to be on the offense. We have to charge the gates. And there's a hundred different ways to do that. And we'll figure out what that looks like. But you need to figure out your part in it. He will tell you. If you ask for that to be revealed, he will tell you. Some of you will get dramatic revelation. You need to quit your job and go do this other thing, serve him in this other way. Somebody will come to me and say, I'm supposed to move to a foreign country now. Like some of you are going to get this dramatic stuff. Most of you are going to get, hey, do you want me to reveal what you're supposed to do? Turn your ass around 20 feet to the person next to you at work that you never talked to and find out what's going on in their life. That's what most of us are going to get. Hey, you're sitting on the subway right now praying to me? Look at the person across from you that looks like their whole life's going to hell in a handbasket right now, and you're just going to get off this subway and head to Starbucks and think, Man, I hope somebody figures that out. Hope somebody helps that person. Because that sure would have been uncomfortable if I had had to say something to them. We've got to figure that out, right? He probably wants you to bring his gospel right where you are. Right where you're sitting. But I think we owe him the conversation and the intentional act of asking him. We probably owe this entity who saved you from yourself, sacrificed everything for you. We probably owe him a conversation to say, what is it I can do for your kingdom? What would you like me to do? Who would you like me to engage? He probably would appreciate that conversation from us. He will reveal it to you. You are the embodiment of Christ's presence on earth. That is what you are here for. You are a citizen of heaven, and you have responsibility to shepherd his people. You are responsible. Listen, our love for, for God is only as large as our love for other people. That's not Marcy Miller's words. That's in the Bible. Your love for him is only as big as your love for other people. So don't tell me that you love him when you don't love other people. We have to love them as he loves them. right? Jesus gives direction for how to do that. Read the Gospels. It shows you how to love on his people. He tells you. It's not a mystery. You don't have to wonder what that means. Read the Gospels. Get in there. He does it over and over and over. And he shows you examples over and over and over. So you don't have to think, this is some conceptual thing that I can't grasp. He'll tell you how to do it. You need to get in there. I would encourage you to spend time in that. Get to know Jesus. Get to know how how he lived his life. Get to know what broke his heart. Get to know what he spent time doing. What was important to him. Okay, I'm gonna to go to song lyrics again. <laughs> Listen, there's a song called Courageous. I know you guys have heard it. It's casting crowns, one of my favorite songs on the planet. And it says, You were made to be courageous, you were made to be to lead the way. What would happen if we could be the generation that finally breaks the chains? What if you were warriors on the front line standing unafraid? But right now, we're watchers on the sidelines watching our family slip away. Right here. I am nothing if not obedient. And when God convicts me for five hours in a bathtub, you can damn sure guarantee I'm going to do what he told me to do. No more is my family going to slip away. And oh, by the way, there's family little F in my house, right? And my, then there's family big F, his kingdom. Don't be confused. You are family in here. I realize that I'm the unwanted stepsister of most of your lives. I'm okay with that. We are family right here in this room. You have responsibility to each other, right? What if it started with us? What if we made a commitment right here, right now in this place? 90 women from LMCC are going to change the tide of New York City. We're going to change the amount of people stuck in the water. We're going to look over the edge and say, you're drowning. Here's my hand. Come on. i got somewhere to take you. i got someone to show you. I want to sit with you in the glory of the God I know. I want to show it to you. What if we did that? What if it started with us? What if we quit waiting for the right time, right place, right feeling? What if we got in the gospel, figured out what Jesus wanted us to do, and then got after it? That's good. What if we quit worrying about, do I have the right job? Do I have the right clothes? Do I have the right... I don't worry about it. do I have the right clothes, obviously, but do I... you all seem to wear the same thing over and over again because I'm a human Kleenex for my daughter, so I just wear things that don't show, like... <laughs> slime and snot. but anyway but but do you work you know what if I what if I spent time during the day thinking what if I looked at my job as a place to save God's kingdom instead of looking at what it's not doing for me not really happy here don't really feel comfortable here okay what if you use that discomfort to get after somebody else's discomfort I'm not saying that some of you shouldn't switch your job. Like, don't take everything to an extreme with me. I don't, don't come to me next week and be like, but you told me. No, that's not what I said. Here's what I said. Like, if you're being abused at work or some horrendous situation, and I'm not telling you to stay there, what I am telling you to do is take some time to have a conversation with a person who might have put you there. He might have put you there for a reason. Don't step out of that until you have a conversation. What if he put you there to save the person 20 feet from you and that's your singular reason for being there? I think that's a pretty freaking good reason to stay. Because you might be the only person that ever has a conversation with them about God. I am divorced from a person that I would prefer not to spend a lot of time with. But you know what God told me? You are the only touch point to me that he has. No one else will bring God anywhere near him. You're the only one that will ever show him any access to me. You can't leave. He's my child's father. Do you think I don't want God to rain his blessing down on him? Of course I do. What do I think someone else is responsible for that? You think my ex-husband doesn't know that I'm a ministry leader in this church? You think he doesn't know what I do for a living? And if I don't show him God's love, what am I doing? right? What am I doing? I had to have a conversation with his girlfriend, who's a lovely person, by the way, across the table. And she said, what's going on this weekend? I said, well, I'm going to preach on Sunday. And she said, oh, wow, will you send that to me? What if my ex-husband's girlfriend, and I was thinking, are you freaking kidding me, God? And God's like, oh, by the way, You're the only entry point to God she has. She doesn't know anything about God. All she knows is that her boyfriend's ex wife is a ministry leader in a church. What if I don't show her the love of God? What does that say to her about this God we serve? What does that say to her when she looks at me and she doesn't know this God, but she knows full well what I do for a living? She knows full well. That when my child goes to her house, she sings Christian music to her. She knows what we do. And so when I don't treat her with the love of God, what am I doing to his kingdom? Right there in that moment. You are either an access point to God or you are a barrier. Own it. Figure out which one you are. You are an access point to God or you are a barrier. Period. There's no gray area. Don't tell me, well, I might be over here. No, you're not. You're an access point or you're a barrier. You need to figure out which one you are and which one do you want to be. And if you're a barrier, there's consequences for that. Don't be confused. There's consequences for that. That, frankly, I don't want you to reap. I don't want you to see those consequences. So we need to think about how we're spending our time, how we're answering questions, what we're doing. Luke 10 tells us about the harvest, right? The instructions were, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. Listen, I prayed to God about that because he convicted me about that. And here's what he told me. You're the workers and you're going. That's what he told me. It's you. That's it. He didn't tell me to go somewhere else and find them. He didn't tell me to look elsewhere. He said, They're right in front of you in Garden City, Long Island on the weekend of the 18th and the 20th, and you better tell them. You're the workers. The harvest is there, guys. We're not waiting for it. The drowning people are there. They're right in front of us. So it's there, and we need to get after that. We have to love in a soul searing way. How are you going to get after people who are drowning if you don't sear their soul with the way that you love them? It has to be dramatic. It has to be visible to them. It has to be tangible to them. They have to be able to feel it. They don't have the ability to tap into the supernatural feeling yet. It has to be visible and tangible from you. Then God can get after that and they can start to get supernatural feeling. But right now, it needs to be your arms around them, your eye to eye with them, your loving on them. That's what it has to be. If you're not a hugger, get over it because I was not a hugger. (laughs) Hug people, what the hell for? Get your weapon and let's go. That's why I lived for 25 years. You don't need a hug. Get in the truck, let's go. If you called any of my soldiers and told them that I hug you on a regular basis, they'd be like, who the hell are you talking about? They knew that I loved them viscerally and fiercely. Would have done anything for them, but I didn't hug them. I can't even even imagine what some of my NCOs would have done if I had come to them like, hey! They would have been like what is going on? Get away. Right? The, the way that we loved on each other was yelling or saying nasty things to each other, like jabbing at each other. Our love was a totally different way and wouldn't be understood outside of the confines of that, so I won't even try to explain it. I loved them viscerally. I would have done anything for them. I would have died for them, and they knew that because that was a language we spoke. We understood that about each other. We understood our bond, right? It was a language we spoke. Listen, Non-Christians don't understand the language you're speaking, so you're going to have to love on them in a way that does make it understandable, which means get your arms around them because nobody misunderstands a hug, usually. (laughs) Keep your hands in an appropriate place. That's all I'm saying. Right? Generally, if someone's drowning, if their life is about to flip off the edge and you say, can I give you a hug? Most people are going to say yes. There is... Physical medical evidence of what gets released in our body when we lay our hands on each other. Right? If you go look at at babies who were never hugged, who were never touched, neurologically they develop completely differently. Their hormone levels and the things in their body are completely different. Because human touch is necessary. God gave it to us for a reason. It's his representation here. They'll eventually be able to feel his tangible love, but right now they can't access that. So let's don't move them too far down the line too quick. Right now they can access your love. They can not access your touch. Stop withholding that. I'm telling you what, I've gotten some hugs from the people in this room that were life-changing to me. Life-changing. Start giving that away. What does it cost you? to hug somebody, and stay there till they want to be let go. You guys have taught me that. I think you've taught Kara and I both that. We like to step away from a hug pretty freaking quick. I think Kara and I can stand in a hug now, she and I together, for probably about 30 seconds. And like, I want to touch her. When we very first met each other, we'd be like, just lean in, touch me. You want to talk about two people who don't know how to hug we we're a little weird at that right we got a little issue with that but i've noticed that as our intimacy has grown right she'll step in first and then i won't hesitate and then we'll get in a hug and we'll stand there for a minute the people that know karen and i are like yeah we've tried to hug you you guys are like trying to hug prickly fish right and then we'll stay in that hug because you know what we've learned there's power in that hug and I'm not going to step out of that too quick till to, like, I get the power. Listen, let's just be okay with uncomfortable. Let's just be okay. Right? I can tell you now with absolute assuredness that if you step in to hug me now, I'm coming. Because I want to hug you. I want the power that that's going to release for me. And if I've got anything you need, I want to release it to you. I don't want to withhold that. And we shouldn't want to withhold that from the most needy, the most desperate. There's people living right near us that no one ever touches. No one ever gets close to them. What if you're the only person who touches them? What if the only person who lays hands on them? There's massive significance in reaching out to take someone's hand. It doesn't cost you anything, but it buys huge power in the kingdom of God. And it won't cost you a thing. All right, so listen. We have work to do. God tells us that when you love like this, the world will know who I am. When you love like this, the world will know who I am all he needs you to do and what more exciting mission could we go on than that if i had told myself so- well no that's not true if i told my soldiers i get on a plane we're going to go hug people they've been like see ya yeah. not <laughs> but what more exciting mission can we have to get in kingdom work what if we say we're going into combat we're going to do kingdom work we're going to save people we're going to show love who doesn't want to do that if you don't want to do that, you need to get with God and figure that out. Three years ago, I'd have been sitting in your seat thinking, you have lost your mind. I'm not hugging anybody. So we've got to think about that, right? You're all capable and equipped. Don't be confused about that. You are capable and equipped. God told me that clearly. The people you need to do the harvest are sitting in the room in Garden City, Long Island. They're already capable and equipped. It's already there. He put you here in this church for a reason. It's now on on us to be intentional. We're going to have to be intentional. Right? The power in this room would be able to raid the gates of hell in a way that was unseen before. I have no doubt about that. So I hope we can begin to stir life change in the people that God puts in our path. I want us to be excited about that. I want us to get on board with that. I want us to have exciting conversations. When we get up in the morning, I want us to say to God, what do you have for me today? Who is going to get put in my path that needs me to do your work today? What if we prayed that in the morning? What if we got up put our feet on the floor and said, I want to do whatever it is you need me to do. Who are you going to put? Please put the drowning person in front of me. Let me be involved in your kingdom work today. Right? I have this sign on my wall. What's well, on my wall? It's sitting on my desk, but it says, Be the woman that when she puts her feet on the floor in the morning, the devil says, Oh crap, she's up. <laughs> up until this point, I don't think the devil was afraid that I was up. What am I doing? What am I doing during my day if the devil's like, Yeah, not worried about that one? She's not doing any damage to the gates of hell. And she's in ministry. So I won. We've got to damage the gates of hell on a daily basis. Amen. So we've gone through a lot of stuff this weekend. What did Christ do for me? What did he do for us? We need to understand that. We need to read about it. Where is my identity rooted? Who am I and who is he? We need to know the answers to those questions. How damaging to hell am I on a daily basis? And what do I want to do about that? How am I going to bring the kingdom down? So we need to think about that. We need to pray about that. We need to get in conversation about that. We need to get excited about that. And then we need to take a deep breath, get filled up with the Holy Spirit, and get after it. You know, I I remember many times standing in combat, I'm about to be a a convoy on the road. The day before, on the very same road, on the very same route, the convoy would have gotten blown up. We would have had to go recover dead soldiers off the road. And soldiers would look me in the eye, standing there on the road, about to get in the truck, to go down the same route, and they'd say, ma'am, I'm scared. And I'd say, I know, get in the truck. I know that some of this is uncomfortable. I know that some of this is scary. I was sending them out to save lives in a different way. But now I'm putting you on mission to save lives in New York City for God's kingdom. And I know you're scared, and I know some of it's uncomfortable. Get in the truck. You're not going by yourself. You're not alone. I'm not sending you out on some individual charge. You are covered by everybody in this room. You are covered by the pastors in this church. And oh, by the way, you are covered by the blood of Jesus. That's the most important part. He already covered you to do this work. You are equipped and capable. So we're going to get after the work together. I'm going to ask you guys to stand now. Go ahead and join hands, you know. We're going to provide human touch to our prayer. God, we are so grateful that you tell us what we can do for you, that you allow us to serve in your kingdom, that you want us to get involved in your work. Your people are so precious to you, and you are allowing us to get involved in their lives. Give us energy to take that seriously, to realize that we are in a life-and-death situation. And that we have all the tools. We are equipped to do everything that you want us to do. And all we have to do is get after the work. You will cover us. You will protect us. You will provide the tools. You've already promised that. Allow us to step into the victory that you already gave us. Put us on mission for you. I've submitted myself and these women to you over and over and over. And I submitted them for the wrong reason. I'm submitting them now to do your work. Give us wisdom. Give us discernment about what that work is. Put us on our knees in time with you, in intentional conversation with you about what you want us to do in this time, in this place for your kingdom. Shame on us for not submitting every part of this to you. We repent of that. And we come now, eyes open, ears open, to hear what it is that you would have us to do. Put your people in our path. We will do your work. We will pay attention. We will bring your kingdom down. You can trust us with this most important work. Bring your broken. Bring your hurt into the doors of this church. We will care for them in the way that you have told us to.
1: We can be trusted
0: with your people. Lord, we praise you. And lift these women up to you. As your most cherished possession. Lord, we pray all this in your son's holy name. Amen. Amen.